Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the ninth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Advancements in Congenital Heart Disease, and we have a great show for you today. Today's show is Advancements in Pregnancy for CHD Survivors. Dr. Peter Ermis is the Associate Director of the Texas Adult Congenital Heart, or TACH, program at Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He is a board-certified cardiologist who specializes in adult congenital heart disease. Dr. Ermis was born and raised in Houston, graduating from Rice University. After a short four years in San Antonio, where he obtained his medical degree, Dr. Ermis returned to Houston and Baylor College of Medicine to complete residency training in combined internal medicine and pediatrics and fellowships in adult cardiovascular medicine and pediatric cardiology. Since completing training and joining the TACH team, Dr. Ermis has focused on improving knowledge and care of the adult congenital heart disease patient. His specific areas of interest include the transition of pediatric congenital heart disease patients to adult care, advanced imaging and exercise testing in ACHD, and cardiac disease and pregnancy. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Dr. Ermis. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm excited for us to be talking about this topic. This season, we've been focusing on advancements in all different areas, but this is the first show for me to do in a while that deals with pregnancy. So first of all, what led you to specialize in working with adults with congenital heart defects? I think initially it dates back to when I was in medical school. As I was going through a lot of my core rotations and learning about all kinds of different aspects of medicine, I found that I liked working with both adults and pediatric patients. In addition, every time that someone was started talking about the heart, I found myself fascinated and just wanting to continue talking about the heart, especially as it related to those congenital heart disease issues. So later on in med school, I think I remember specifically, it was towards the beginning of my fourth year in in med school, I I was rotating with a pediatric cardiologist in San Antonio, and I noticed what I thought was just so unusual to me that he was still seeing these adult patients, and he was telling me that it just seemed like he was seeing more and more due to the increased survival in these kids with congenital heart disease. So it really coalesced at that time, and I decided that that was kind of the career pathway that I wanted to pursue, so I reached out to many people who are doing that already or in the process of training to try to figure out how I would go about it. And then as I went on through my training and interacted more and more with the adult congenital patients, I saw how much I enjoyed it and saw that the need that I had seen 
in med school is even greater than what I could imagine. And I thought it was just the perfect thing for me to get into. Well, I love that. And my son received all of his care for his congenital heart defect in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, well, great. So I have a feeling that you have seen some of his doctors and met them. And I couldn't ask for a better group of doctors to help my son. He was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and he's now 22. So he's one of those adult survivors. (laughs) That's fantastic. But I was really interested to hear that you like working with the adults and talking about pregnancy because that's really super specialized. So what led you to that area? To be perfectly honest, when I initially was thinking about a career in cardiology and specifically a career in adult congenital heart disease, didn't cross my mind once that I would end up being so involved in taking care of so many of these patients during pregnancy. And in reality, being so involved in some of the decisions surrounding pregnancy in these patients. But as I was finishing up my training and then getting into my current position, and as we saw more and more of these adult congenital patients, I found that more and more were asking about pregnancy, more and more were wanting to get pregnant, more and more that could get pregnant. So many of them have been told that they couldn't get pregnant, but now that was changing. Data was coming out saying that it's okay, it was safe for a lot of these people to get pregnant. And so now we see a lot of pregnant patients in clinic. It seems like at least one or two patients of mine every clinic, so it's about two to four patients that I see a week are pregnant. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. That's amazing. (laughs) And interesting in that regard, as we built some of these relationships, working closely with some of our OB colleagues and taking care of our adult congenital patients who are getting pregnant, we now see many OB patients who have heart-related complaints. A lot of these patients that we're seeing additionally to our patients are patients the OBs are referring to us who don't have congenital heart disease but they've kind of developed a relationship with us and we've developed this comfort level of taking care of pregnant patients. I think it really has coalesced into even an additional avenue of something that we do. Wow. It's amazing how interconnected everything is, isn't it? Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's surprising what pathways that things can take you on that you never would have thought. Right, right. At what age do you actually start talking to your patients about family planning? What I'm really wondering is, does pregnancy in a young lady with a congenital heart defect affect whether or not they're seen in a pediatric setting or in an adult setting? Yeah, I think you use the term family planning. I think that's a perfect term because that's probably one of the most important things that we do with involving our adult congenital patients in pregnancy is that we want to plan for the pregnancy. You know, in general, I don't see a lot of kids. So most of my patients transition to me later in their teenage years, maybe 18 to 20 or 21 years of age. But really, irregardless of when I start seeing a patient, if they're in their mid-teens or on, I always start the conversation at that point talking about family planning and pregnancy at the initial visit. And I think I look at it as a part of every time I meet one of my new adult congenital patients or an older teenage patient, I always like to give my new patients a vision, sort of a roadmap, so to speak, of what their future entails, what it entails from their specific cardiac disease, what it entails to possible symptoms they may get, future surgeries or interventions they may need. And I think for a lot of them and for most all of our female patients, that pregnancy is such a vital part of that future and what that entails. And I know reality that things happen 
although we like to plan things out, sometimes these pregnancies kind of pop up on us unplanned. And I always want the patients to be aware of what risks specifically for them that may lie ahead if they happen to do have an unplanned pregnancy and how ideally that we would like to plan for these things and make sure that their heart is okay prior to proceeding. I love that. That's perfect. And I think you're so right. You do have to be realistic. Unplanned pregnancies can occur and your patients do need to know this is what could happen if I get pregnant and it's not a planned pregnancy. I think just like with most things in life, the more planning and preparation it goes into it, usually the better outcome. Most definitely. But we need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Armis about a historical perspective of family planning with our heart worries. We'll be back in just a moment. Did you know that most men suffer from beard itch, ingrown hairs, and a dry face, all because they're not using the right shaving tools? At woodraiser.com, we sell handmade heirloom-quality badger hairbrushes that exfoliate the skin, open the pores, and stimulate hair follicles, which gives a gentleman a closer, more comfortable shave and a clean face. Visit our website, woodraiser.com, where you can learn more about men's skin care and check out our professional shaving tools. A perfect gift for your man, built to last for generations. That's W-O-O-D-R-A-Z-O-R.com. The most common theme that I hear is why. She always needed uh, a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it helped me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Advancements in Pregnancy for CHD Survivors. Dr. Ermis is a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects, and he just finished telling us how he helps transition patients from pediatric care to adult care and how he helps female heart warriors with family planning. But Dr. Ermis, I have a lot of friends who are adult survivors, and many of them are in their 30s and 40s. They tell me that when they were young, they were told they couldn't have children or that they shouldn't have children due to the severity of their heart defect. But now I have a lot of friends in their 20s, and they're telling me something totally different. And you kind of talked about that a little bit in the first segment. So can you tell us about how opinions regarding pregnancy for adult survivors has changed over time? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, as I mentioned earlier, and as you state, it's definitely, I think, that opinions have changed. I think if you go back 20, 30 years ago, things were still so unknown, even just in what to do with the the kids with congenital heart disease, much less thinking about adults who were survivors of congenital heart disease. Cardiologists, I think, at that time were likely scared to even just think about pregnancy. They were just happy that their patients had survived to a period where they were having to tell them they could not get pregnant. I think things have changed now. Almost all kids born with congenital heart disease these days live to be an adult. So now I think it gives us the chance for cardiologists the ability to focus more on quality of life and living a normal life. And I think pregnancy becomes a part of that discussion. Mm -hmm. I think 
I think additionally, up until about the last decade or so, the vast majority of these patients were cared for by pediatric cardiologists. And they don't think often about pregnancy, nor do they probably want to think about pregnancy. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's more of this, you know, quote, adult thing. Right. In that situation, the easiest answer for them is not to take the risk and say no. Mm -hmm. So I think as, as more cardiologists are trained specifically to care for the adult congenital patient, I think they're more inclined. And I think the data show that the, that's the best approach. They're more inclined to say pregnancy is okay for most of our patients. Right, right. I love that. And I think you're so right, though. It is a quality of life issue. And for a lot of women, motherhood helps to define who they are. So to be told that they can't do it, it's a real blow. It definitely is. I think it's a part of what so many people feel is one of their most important things that they want to achieve with their life. Right. Being a mom or, or on the flip side, being a dad and having kids and mm -hmm. being able to pass on what you know to them. Yeah, absolutely. In my book, The Heart of a Mother, one of my contributors, Judy Norwood, was born in 1938 with Tetralogy of Fallot, and she wrote the introduction to my book. I was so inspired by her story because she lived long enough to become a great grandmother. How rare do you think that kind of situation was back then? And what do you think is the likelihood that today's survivors, even with serious heart defects like Tetralogy of Fallot, might be able to experience what Judy did? I think that's just a wonderful story. And I think it's kind of why we all do what we do. I think, yes, I think Judy's story is very rare given the error that she was born into with Tetralogy of Fallot. I mean, she was born in, in 1938. The first, quote, blue baby surgery, the blade octalcic shunt, wasn't performed until six years later in 1944. Right. And a complete repair and for Tetralogy of Fallot wasn't even first attempted until she was an adult. It was in 1956. You're right. She was so, 10 years old when she had her blade octalcic shunt. Yeah. Isn't that so. amazing? That, that is absolutely amazing. And I think most assuredly, she's sort of lived the history of congenital heart disease. Mm -hmm. But I think more importantly, it sounds like she's able to live a great life, being able to see her grandkids and great grandkids. And so I think that's amazing. And I've seen a few similar patients, but those that I've seen that were born about one or two decades after Judy, they have kids and grandkids. But still, even then, we don't see many patients like that those that even have grandkids at this point. But I think I think it's going to change. I think that change is coming and in the decades is more of our adult congenital patients who are having kids maybe in the last decade who are having kids in the next coming years will get to see their grandkids and their great-grandkids. And I think that's such a wonderful thing to consider. Oh, I do too. I was so inspired by her because I know so many people have been told that they couldn't or shouldn't have babies. And of course, she was worried with every pregnancy, first her daughter, was she going to have a heart defect? And then with every grandchild, would that child have a heart defect? And then the great-grandchildren and none of her progeny had any heart defects. Isn't that amazing? None of the grandkids are great-grandkids. That's wonderful. Yeah, I just think it's a fabulous story, and she just brought me so much hope. Do you think that that might be one reason also, though, that doctors cautioned patients from having a child because maybe they were afraid there was a genetic component? I think that probably played into it a bit. I think that's definitely an area that we're learning more about and that I think that will become a more integral part of some of our discussions with patients as we learn more about the genetic makeup of some of these congenital heart disease defects. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that long QT syndrome has been shown to have a very strong hereditary 
component. Are there other heart defects that when you see a patient come in with that particular heart defect, you think, oh, wow, I really need to let them know this has a high incidence of being passed on to their children? So, I mean, there's some very specific heart disease defects where we know there's specific genes. Sometimes it's just even a combination of some other things related to a relatively nonspecific congenital heart disease defect. So there's some specific tetralogy of fallow patients or some specific patients who may have ASDs related to other non-cardiac issues. And so a lot of times it's those other non-cardiac issues that may pinpoint for us that there's a specific gene defect that may be leading to that, which may raise the likelihood that they could pass it on to a future generation. Okay. So in that case, do you recommend genetic testing? I think one of the key areas that I think is going to become more important for us as we talk to our patients and as becoming an integral part of family planning is to actually have a preconception counseling visit where they're seeing us, the cardiologists, who can discuss things with them, but then have a discussion with their OB who may be managing the pregnancy and see from an OB standpoint, what are some issues that they maybe want to be aware of, but then also meet with a genetic counselor that is very much abreast of the latest topics in congenital heart disease and genetics to get the discussions of what are the chances for their particular person to pass on something to their future generations. And I think that type of visit can be important, not just for our female patients, but also to our male patients, because they have the same risk of passing on things as the female patients. I think you're totally right that this is not something just for the female patients to consider, but also male patients. I think information is always key as far as thinking about concerns or questions. I tell all of my patients the first time I meet them and remind them later on that if you have worries or you have questions, don't hold them inside. Always ask and get information because if you worry about it, you're going to think the worst. Mm -hmm. And the worst that I can tell you is the worst. And so most of the time, it's going to be much better than that. And that's where I think these ideas of meeting with the preconception counseling, meeting with a genetic counselor, and actually seeing what the information there is on these specifics diseases that exist in the patients to give them the best available information. Right. And things keep changing. It's amazing to me how fast our knowledge base is increasing at this point in time. Oh, most definitely. It's already time for us to take another break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Ermis about advancements in reproduction and his prognosis for the future of adults with congenital heart defects regarding family planning. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. When I saw so many of these CHG groups growing, I found family just ready to join me. Anyone who is a member of the adult congenital heart defect community can be a guest on our show. We have a great year planned and we look forward to sharing other interesting topics. Heart to Heart with Nicole and David, serving the ACHD community, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Tonight, 
Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Advancements in Pregnancy for CHD Survivors. And a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects, Dr. Ermis, has been our guest. We just finished talking with Dr. Ermis about the history of how women were once upon a time discouraged from having babies if they were born with a serious heart defect, but how that is changing. And so now I have a few more questions I'd like to ask you. Dr. Ermis, what advancements do you think are the most important in the field of reproduction for female heart warriors? I think we're still in an era where we just want to spread the word that most of our adult congenital patients can get pregnant. I think, of course, all the patients want to ask their adult congenital provider before that, but most can. I think on the pregnancy side, our OB colleagues are becoming just much more comfortable with taking care of our adult congenital patients. If I go back to some of our first patients, especially some of our first patients who had fairly complex congenital heart disease, it was a lot of consternation, a lot of worry, and a lot of hand-holding throughout the pregnancy. But I think now our OB colleagues have just become much more comfortable and they're helping ways to try to minimize the stress, especially in some of our more high-risk patients, minimize the stress that pregnancy or labor or delivery can cause on the heart. And so I think that's becoming a tremendous benefit. I think on the heart side of things, I think it's just a matter of just improving on what we talked about earlier, where now even as kids, our cardiologists and our surgeons are focusing a little bit more on thinking about what to do as in terms of quality of life for the future, as opposed to just having to focus on survival because survival has gotten to be so great. And so now we can look at better ways to do things that may actually allow for safer periods during pregnancy or labor and delivery for our patients. That's really good. I didn't know that there were certain things that they could do to make the stress on the heart less during pregnancy, because I know the heart is stressed because a woman's heart is also beating for the baby. Isn't that right? Correct. When I talk to any of my pregnant patients, I tell them that pregnancy is sort of a mini stress test that goes on for nine months for the heart. Wow. It's sort of like they're, at least from their heart standpoint, they're running a little marathon the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's why they may feel some of these symptoms and why some things may become harder. And so for a lot of patients, that's perfectly fine. We like them to be active. And so this is actually something that's not a big deal for them. But for some of our patients, it is. And then when we get to the periods of labor and delivery, that stress increases for a period of time. So there are some ways that our OB colleagues can shorten some of the periods as far as the labor process goes or use some medications to help alleviate some of the added stress on the heart. So it is possible then that some women can have a vaginal delivery. Just because you have a serious heart defect doesn't mean you have to have a cesarean, right? Exactly. I mean, by far and away, we actually recommend for almost all our patients to pursue at least initially a vaginal delivery 
unless there's OB complications or indications that say that a C-section is necessary. I think we have found that actually a C-section, unless required for certain very specific heart problems, actually contributes a bit more risk for our patients than a vaginal delivery. Mm. That's good to know. And I think the recovery period for a woman who has a vaginal delivery is usually much faster than that for a woman who has a C-section, right? Most cases, correct. But of course, you don't want to put too much stress on the heart. I have known a couple of women who have had a baby and it stressed their heart so much that it left them very weak. There's a reason why it's called labor. (laughs) It's probably the hardest thing physically that a woman has to do unless she's training for a marathon or something. Oh, no, definitely. And, and there are instances where that happens. I think we have become more more in tune to pick up on those a little bit earlier. And so we can hopefully alleviate some of those issues from occurring or at least lessen them to the extent to which occur. And that's where that family planning is so important because if you know ahead of time, you know what drug interactions may happen because one of the things that I think makes working with heart patients so challenging is that they can be on a very different regimen of drugs than your previous patient. Everybody seems to have their own unique combination of drugs. I think that's very true and very important, especially when it comes to pregnancy, because we do have a fair number of medications that we use on a very routine basis that we do not want to use during pregnancy because of effects that those medications can have on the developing baby. And that's where planning becomes important because there's medications that you would even want to stop or change prior to even becoming pregnant. So in that period where you're planning the pregnancy because of the risks they could have even early on during the developing baby's process. Right, right. Well, do you talk to your patients about alternatives to having children themselves? What options seem to be most popular today? I know I hear a lot of my friends talking about surrogacy. Or do you think that a lot of women are just choosing not to have babies? I think for those patients who want kids and cannot due to their heart condition or maybe some other reasons, we do discuss this and other options. These options, like you said, include adoption or surrogacy. Currently, at least what I've found, I think a lot of my patients who are in this position have chose to pursue adoption, but I think we have more and more that are thinking about and pursuing surrogacy, and I think we've seen some great results with that. I think ultimately the choice is for the patient and their family and what best fits what they want and what they can do and move forward with. I do have a good number of patients who choose not to have kids. Of course, I think this often changes as other things change in their life. So they may say that, no, they never want to have kids when they're in their early, mid-20s, and then maybe something happens later on, and then they change their mind, which is just like anybody else. Even if you don't have heart disease, that happens often. Mm -hmm. I actually think this is great, because I think even for those patients who say, no, I don't want to have kids. It's just not what I see myself doing. I think it's great because that's the fact that they're choosing that. It's not a decision that they're being forced to make. Right. It's their choice, which I think is so wonderful today. Exactly. Yes, I think so too. And we see heart-healthy women who are choosing not to have children as well. Especially here in the United States, it seems like a lot of women are waiting later and later to have children. So like you said, you might choose in your 20s, no, I don't want to have a child. But then when you're in your 30s, you could change your mind and want to have a child. So it's nice to know that there are some of those options. Okay, so now I want you to pull out your crystal ball 
And tell me, what do you see as the future for family planning for female heart warriors? As I tell all my patients, I'm not good at predicting the future. I can't keep pace with new technology that's coming down the road now and that will come down the road in a decade or two. But I do think, you know, a few things that I foresee happening. One, I think we'll continue to build on our current progress. As I touched on earlier, as we got into, I think the family planning process will be able to become a much more integral and recognized and routine part of our care for these patients. And that process, I think, is going to expand to include some of the things that I've mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. especially as we get more information, expanding where a patient, and this is going to apply from either male or female patients, Mm -hmm. to have these preconception counseling visits, meeting with genetic counselors, and whether that involves getting some genetic testing done or just talking about what is known given a particular diagnosis and what that may mean for their future generations. So I think that's going to become kind of a vital part to this whole process. I think hopefully we'll continue to improve and find ways to help those who we say now should not pursue pregnancies to maybe find ways for them to pursue pregnancies. Maybe that'll just take different development surgically when they're a child, or maybe we'll figure out new things to do as adults. But I definitely see us improving on these already great outcomes that we have when our adult congenital patients do decide to have kids. I love that. That is just so awesome. And when you were talking about having a roadmap and making this just part of the process of them growing up, it harkens me back to another guest I had on this season, Dr. Gil Warnofsky, and he is creating a roadmap for success for children with congenital heart defects. And I think we need something like this so that when they are children, before they do become of the age where they can have an unwanted pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy, that way before that, we're talking to them and doing exactly what you said, helping them to plan so that they have a successful, happy, good quality of life. So it seems to me that a big part of the roadmap that Dr. Warnofsky talked about was involving other professionals. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I think that's key. And I think you also touched on that kind of vital part of how transition plays a role as we take these pediatric patients, these teenage patients, and help set them up for success for when they do become adults. And it really comes down to a lot of the pediatric providers during those kind of early teenage years to help set them up knowing what their disease and diagnosis is, but then preparing them. I don't even think we prepare completely healthy, non-congenital heart patients for futures in pregnancy, family planning, finances, workplace, things of that sort that bring in so many other different people just apart from their heart and their cardiologist. I agree with you. I think this is an area we could improve upon for all of our children. Everybody should consider the implications of planning their family. And I think it would reduce so many complications in a lot of people's lives if they took a little bit more time to really think about how they want to plan their family and what kind of future they want for themselves. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dr. Irmas. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've had a great time. And it's always such an exciting opportunity to be able to talk about these sort of important issues. Well, I think so, too. And I think the more we talk about it, the better it is for everybody involved. So that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please find and follow our radio show on iTunes. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. 
Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.